Hallelujah. Anybody glad that you came to church tonight? Oh, yes, 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 yes. I'm thankful for the Lord and His blessings, and I am thankful that you're here tonight. Turn with me to Psalms chapter 77. And as you're turning there, let me let me say to all of you how much I appreciate your being in the house of the Lord tonight. I'm going to use the whole chapter, but I'm not going to read it all. I don't want to wear you out. You've been standing a long time tonight, but you're going to get to sit for a little while because I have about 30 pages of notes. If I get through all of them, you'll be wishing you could stand up again. So let's stand. But I want to begin with verse 1, and I want you to catch the tone of this particular psalm written by Asaph. And it begins like this. He said, I cried unto God with my voice, even unto God with my voice, and he gave ear unto me. In the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. My sore ran in the night and ceased not. My soul refused to be comforted. I remembered God and was troubled. I complained. My spirit was overwhelmed. Selah. That means take a moment to think about what I've just said. And then he goes on. And it continues very much in the same tone. The depressing, overwhelming facts of life. Until he comes down to verse number 10. Verse 10 he said, And I said, everybody say that with me. And I said, And I said, This is my infirmity. This is my trouble. And then he makes a statement. And in the original text, if you have a Bible like mine, the first four words are in italics, which means they were not in the original text. They were added to give continuity of thought. So those first four words, but I will remember, are not in the original text. It just simply says, the years of the right hand of the Most High. All right? Now, notice what happens. He said, I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember the wonders of, of old. I will meditate also on the work and talk of thy doings. Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary, who is so great a God as our God. And it continues. I want you to focus with me on verse number 10. These words. This is my infirmity. This is my problem. Everybody said amen. God bless you. You may be seated. No one of us knows how life is going to turn out. None of us received a manual when we were birthed that gave us all of the details about how life would go. We did not have anyone to stand by and hold our hand and tell us that everything would be all right. We just came into this world and began living, and in that living we've had to face many, many things. There is no magic ball. There is no uh, 
special seance that you can go to that will give you a look into life or the future to discern how it's all going to turn out. We don't know what tomorrow is going to hold, and we don't know how all of this is going to come together. Who can explain life when you think about all of your life, my life, our lives? Who can explain that? The agonies and the anguish, the sorrows and the perplexities, the grief and the temptations, the mysteries and the pain of suffering, the problems of trouble, all of those things weigh heavy in our lives. And when, when you weigh all of that, when you bring all of those troubles together and all of the circumstances of life, it sometimes looks like that load is unbearable. It looks like that that load is too heavy. One person facing life will say, life is killing me. And the, the, another person facing the same kind of life somehow finds a way to make something of their life. The question is, what's the difference? What's the difference between the one who says life is killing me and the one who says life is making me? The 77th Psalm is, is one of the most unique psalms that you will read. It's one of the most unique songs that is written in, in uh, the, the, the whole book of Psalms because there are two diametrically opposed and differing points of view that are within the same psalm. And if you read it from beginning to end, you will pick up what I'm talking about in in the first part of the psalm, there is uh, the mood and attitude of one particular viewpoint. And then in the latter portion of the psalm, there is a complete and total opposite. It's like daylight and dark. And there is such a drastic change in it that when you listen to what the psalm is saying, you have to wonder what in the world happened. How did this song come together? The outcome and the moods and the tenses and the conclusions that are drawn and the feelings that are nurtured in this song are so vastly different. So much so that when you read it, you would think that two people had written that song and they had just collaborated and brought it together and, and that's why there's such a stark difference. But the truth is, it was written by the same man the same man who wrote the first ten verses wrote the last ten verses. The same man who woke up one morning thinking life was one way somehow had a transformation in his life and suddenly he is seeing life in a different way. You would think that there were two people, maybe Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, but it was in truth the same man, it was the self-same person who wrote the end that wrote the beginning. It was the same life, but two different outcomes and two different pictures that were painted and two different conclusions that were drawn. He begins by painting a very dark and dismal picture. It's bleak. 
everything according to what he said in the first ten verses was going wrong. It's depressing. When you read it, it is despairing. The words that he used to express uh, his predicament and his situation are, are, are extremely telling of his attitude and spirit. Here is a man who is praying, but nothing is happening. He is talking to God, but God's not responding to him. Now, it's one thing for you to pray, but most of us expect God to respond in some way. But this man had prayed, and God was silent. God wasn't saying anything, and and that, that wasn't all that he was dealing with. There were other problems, so much so that he began to lift his hand kind of demonstrate like this to God. God, what's going on here? Why, why, why is my life like it is right now? He was complaining. He whined. He belly ate. That's a word. You understand what that word means? He, 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 everything that he looked at was, was wrong. His mood was so negative. He found no comfort in prayer. He found no sleep. He was speechless. He didn't even know how to express himself. His mind is filled with such dark thoughts that he even began to question God. And the last, like the last two or three verses of, of the first part are filled with questions. Where is God? What's God doing? Is God dead? Is God somewhere lost? Has God's mercy ceased? Has God forgotten about who I am and where I am? He wonders if his situation has become permanent, and the Bible speaks of it in these terms, he sighs. He is so overwhelmed by the situation that all he can do is just sigh deeply and wonder how in the world this is all going to turn out. Somehow he finds, though, an adjustment. Something happens. I don't know what it was, but... Something happened in this, this, the flow of these verses. And somehow this man makes an adjustment in his life. He, he makes an adjustment in, in, in the way he looked at things and the way he approached things. And, and the sign gave way to singing. And now this same man who just a few minutes before was depressed, he was discouraged. He wondered where God was at. He wondered if God even knew what was going on in his life. Now he is praising God. Now he is worshiping. Now he is applauding God. Now he's talking about the greatness of the Lord. The entire mood of his life changed. The entire outcome of his life changed. The entire attitude of his life changed. And he saw things in a complete different light in the second portion of the psalm that he did in the first portion. What's interesting is when you begin to look at those first ten verses, that for the first nine verses, really, the first nine verses, he makes 22 personal references. 22 times he talks about I, me, mine, me. 22 times. Let's say 22 times. 22 times in nine verses he talks about himself, but only 11 times does he even reference God. So here is a man who 
this first portion of his song and and some portion of his life, he is talking about his troubles and his problem twice as much as he's talking about his God. No wonder he's depressed. No wonder he's overwhelmed. No wonder he's got questioned. No wonder he doesn't see an end to it all. When a man or a woman gets into that condition, you listen to the words that they use. and Listen to how they talk about their situation. He cried. He complained. He whined. He couldn't sleep. He demonstrated, God, what's up here, God? All of those were indicative of a man whose problems were bigger than his God. Indicative of a man whose problems outnumbered his understanding and knowledge of God. This is not an unfair analysis of the song. It is just a fact. It is a fact because in the last portion, in those last nine verses, his attitude changes. And now in these last nine verses, he only talks about himself three times. But he talks about God 22 times. 22 times he talks about the Lord and three times he talks about himself. And listen to the difference in the tone and the attitude of his life. Let me just pick up my bifocals here. And read a little bit to you. Here is a man who starts out crying and sighing and whining and complaining and belly aching and all that he can see is trouble and problem. And then something changed. Something happened that transformed his mind. And now he said, I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember thy wonders of old. I will meditate also on all thy works and talk of thy doings. Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God as our God? Thou art the God that dost wonders. Thou hast declared thy strength among the people. Thou hast with thine arm redeemed thy people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph, Selah. All of a sudden, there is this complete turnaround because a man realized what was wrong was his own attitude and his own way of looking at life. And that's why he said, this is my infirmity. This is my problem. I've been looking at life, my life, in the wrong perspective. And here tonight, you have come to hear this preacher tell you that life really does depend on how you see it. The same person can look out of prison bars. One see mud, but the other saw stars. Why? Because it all depends on what you're looking for. Life isn't fair. Life isn't even. Life doesn't make sense sometimes. But God's hand is in all of that. And that's one thing the psalmist remembered. That God's hand, the right hand of God, had been on his life from the very beginning. And when this psalmist began to realize that it changed his attitude and his tone and his whole outlook on life transformed. Why? Because he saw his life in the light of God's work rather than his problems in the light of God's shadow. He saw the 
hand of God upon his life from the beginning. When a man gets to that place, something marvelous can transpire. And so he can look at the same troubles. He can look at the same problem, but have a complete different attitude and outcome of it all. Is life going to kill you? I don't know. It all depends on how you look at it. Is life going to get the best of you? I don't know. It all depends on how you look at it. Is life going to overturn your life and give you nothing in return? I don't know. It all depends on how you look at it. Are you going to have troubles that are going to overwhelm you? Absolutely. Is that going to be your end? I don't know. It all depends on how you look at it. Hallelujah. And for the first nine verses, this man could only see his life in, as it referred to him. Me, mine, my, all of that was about him. And what he saw was discouraging. What he saw was overwhelming. But when he changed his mind, when he turned his attitude and he remembered the right hand of God, when he remembered that God had been there with him from the very beginning, you see, he remembered the right hand of the years of God. God doesn't have years. He was talking about a man's years. So he was saying, I look back over my life and I see a hand that's been there from the very beginning, moving me, ushering me, bringing me to the point where I am. And when you begin to understand that your life has always been in God's hands and it is still in God's hands, it will change the way you live. It'll change your attitude. It'll change your spirit. It'll put a smile back on your face. It'll put praise back in your heart. You'll give up the depression. You'll give up the discouragement and you'll lift your hands and say, thank you, God, that you've been with me all these years. Hallelujah, hallelujah. When you take these two parts of the song and put them together, you see a remarkable difference. One is darkness, the other is light. One is sharp, one is blurred. One is filled with disappointment and the other is filled with difference. And what was the difference? It was a changed mind because everything depends on how you look at it. It all depends on how you look at it. And when he saw the right hand of God, he saw what God had been doing all this time. God's hand had been on him. It completely changed. There are three things that he said immediately after that. He said, I will remember, I will meditate, and I'm going to talk. This is what happens when you really get a mind change and when you get your focus on the right thing. When you really begin to look at God more than you look at your problem. When the focus of your life is on Him, not on what's wrong in your life. This is what happened. He said, I will remember. You see, He changed His thinking. He changed the thing that He dwelt on. And when He began to change His thinking and the thing that He dwelt on, the next thing that changed was what He meditated on. 
When you change your thinking, then you change your focus. You change what you look at. You change what you talk about. You change what you think about. You change what you give your mind to. And then when you change what you talk about or you change what you think about and you change the focus of your life, then you begin to change what you talk about. He said, I will talk of thy doing. You talk about what is right, what is good, what is merciful, what is righteous. There has to come to every child of God at some point in your life a deliberate and decisive action that said, you know what? I'm going to talk. I'm going to act. I'm going to live like a believing person. I am a child of God. I'm not a mistake. I'm not a, I, I'm not a, I'm not a has been. I am a child of God and God has a purpose for my life and I want to find Him everywhere in my life because He has truly been in every area of my life from the very beginning. Amen. When you begin to get your eyes off of your problems and onto Him, you find that His sanctuary is where you find your help. He led them, He liberated them, and He gave them victory. Life can be ugly. Life can be unfair. Life can be hard. It can be difficult. It can be depressing. Or life can be interesting. Life can be challenging. Life can be inspiring. Life can be invigorating. It all depends. It all depends on how you look at it. We've all had enough sorrows to sing our song of woe. But I'm not interested in that song. What I want to learn how to sing is the song of praise. I want to sing of the song of the right hand of God. I want to sing of the song of the hand of God that delivers, that makes a way where there is no way. I want to keep my focus on the hand that can part waters and allow men to walk across on dry ground. I want to see my eyes focused upon the hand that can provide manna in the wilderness, that can provide water out of a rock. I want to look at the hand that has guided my steps wherever I've gone, even when I may my mistakes. His hand has been with me and has brought me to where I am. And when I focus my life in that perspective and I remember the hand of God in my life, it will make you praise. It will cause you to lift up your hands and say thank you God. Oh, the enemy had one plan, but he's not going to get to fulfill it because you have a better plan. Oh, thank you God for what you've done in my life. Thank you God for your mercy. Amen. It really does depend on how you look at it. Amen. Somebody say it with me. It all depends. It all depends on how you look at it. So how can that change come to my life? How can I get that kind of attitude adjustment in my life? Three simple things I'm going to give you and I'm going to let you go. Number one, you need to learn how to saturate yourself with the sense of God. Amen. Rather than saturating your God with the sense of your problems. You need to saturate your mind. Realize that you're the work of God. You're not an accident. 
And everything is weighed in the hands of God. And nothing goes on outside the hand of God. Listen to me, church. When God was dealing with Job, and Job was sitting in dust and ashes, and could not make sense of what was going on in his life, and all of his friends had turned against him, and they were accusing him, of having some hidden secret, some sin that he had committed. And Job knew that there was nothing there. Job knew there was no reason for this to be going on, and yet he was in misery. He was hurting. His wife had had turned against him. He had lost his children. He had lost his wealth and his influence in the society. And here he is sitting in dust and ashes, and God begins to talk to Job. But God didn't begin to talk to Job in the way you and I would. If it was you and I, we would have come up beside Job and we would have sat down and we would have said, Oh, Job, man, I am so sorry that you're going through this. I know it's got to be rough. I, I know it's not fair. We, we would try our best to try to make some kind of reason out of it, but God didn't the first time explain himself. He didn't the first time try to tell Job everything's going to be all right. All God did was just pull the curtains of heaven back and begin to show Job his power. He began to show Job how mighty he was. Has anybody found where the frost comes from? Has anybody found where the rain comes from? Has anybody found where the lightning comes from? And verse after verse, all God did was bombard Job with who he was, his might and his power. And as Job began to absorb all of that, there was a healing that began to take place in Job's life. And the Bible said God turned the affliction of Job. All because Job began to realize the right hand of God. It was there all the time. I didn't see it, but God was still working. I didn't understand it, but God was right there. And so God showed him his majesty and his might. You know what God's trying to get you and I to see? His glory tonight. He's not trying to comfort you and and make you feel like everything's going to be all right. He wants you to see his might. He wants you to see his power. He wants you to see a right hand that created a world that has been able to deliver men from the beginning. And he wants you to know that if you'll keep your eyes on my hand and you'll keep your eyes on me, I can get you through anything you're going through. Hallelujah. Amen. Saturate your life with the sense of God. Amen. Number two, realize that your life is in His hands. You remember that children's song we used to sing? He's got the whole world in His hands. He's got the whole wide world in His hands. He's got the whole world. Any of y'all go to Sunday school? Come on, sing it with me. He's got the whole world in His hands. He's got the whole wide world. In his hands, he's got the whole world. In his hands, he's got the whole world in his hands. He's got you and me, brother. In his hands. Oh, oh yes, in his hands. He's got you and me, brother. In his hands, he's got the whole world. Let me tell you about those hands. When Jesus prayed in the book of John, he said, Lord, He's he's praying, the fleshly man is praying. He said, 
God, you have given these and no man can pluck them out of my hand. That's where you're at. You're in a place that nobody can get to. Nobody can pry that away from him. That's why I want to sing. He's got the whole world. He's got all of my problems in his hand. He's got all of my problems in his hand. He's got all of my problems in his hand. He's got my whole world in his hands. He's got my future in his hands. He's got my future. In his hands, he's got my future. In his hands, he's got my whole world in his hand. He's got my finances in his hand. He's got my bills in his hand. He's got my finances in his hand. He's got my whole world in his hands. Hallelujah. And Job, or or, or Asaph said, this is my infirmity. This is my problem, my perspective, my whole look at life. He said, the right hand of the years, the years of the right hand of God. That's all he had to think about. When he saw the hand of God, he remembered and he knew that everything would be all right. It all depends on how you look at it. Number three, you cannot dwell upon your wounds and be healed. You cannot focus on your problems and get better. You cannot dwell on your troubles and be comforted. That's all there is to it. Uh, I know I took the wind out of some of your sails because some of us like to live in our troubles. We like to carry them around like a badge of honor. Nobody got the troubles I have. But you don't heal. Your, your wounds don't heal when you dwell on them. Anybody ever been wounded? I mean really wounded, cut. You know how you heal? By leaving it alone. You don't sit around picking on it. Every day pulling that bandage off, picking at it. You'll never get well. You've got to leave it alone. Let time do what time does and God do what God does. And so you cannot heal by dwelling upon your wounds and you cannot get better by focusing on your problems. You've got to carry those problems into the light of the majesty of God's powerful presence. And when you bring your problems into the light of His might and power, all of a sudden you realize everything's going to be all right. Everything's going to be all right. There's something better than brokenness. There's something better than despair. There's something better than the perplexing facts and forces of life. When you realize that all of your sorrows, all of your afflictions, all of your disappointments are in the hands of God. Amen. You cannot dwell on your wounds and get well. Somewhere you've got to lift up your eyes and realize that God is there. He has been there. Amen. All the time and all the way. And you know what, folks? He's going to be there. Amen. Am I going to make it? I don't know. It all depends on how you look at it. Am I going to get better? I don't know. It all depends on how you look at it. Are things going to work out? I don't know. It all depends on how you look at it. My life going to get better? I don't know. It all depends on how you look at it. Let's stand together. Had a man that was used to be in our church years ago, and he would call me 
right before church, I could just about count on it every time he was going to call me and some excuse for not being there. Some lame excuse. I mean, it, most of the time it was lame. He, he, he was lame, but his, his excuses were more lame. And I'm not making fun. I'm just, I'm just, he would call and he would start on his woe story. Problem was, he had a lazy boy. And when he got in that lazy boy, that big boy got lazy. That was what his problem was. One time he called me and I just wasn't in the mood for all that. He said, Brother Hughes, I just don't know if I'm going to make it. I said, you know what? You're not. And there was this long silence on the phone. And I could tell I had offended him. And he started in. What do you mean by that? I mean exactly that. If you keep thinking that way, you're not going to make it. Because that kind of thinking has put you in a depression and it's put you on pain pills and all the other medications that try to doctor and nurse something that's not wrong with you physically, it's wrong with you mentally. Amen. And all it would take to transform your world tonight would be for you to get your eyes off your problems and get your eyes on your God. And folks, if you don't have a God big enough, then you need to come and get acquainted with one that is big enough. If your God's not big enough to carry that load, then you need to come to the altar tonight and let me help you find the one that can carry that load. Amen. It all depends on how you look at it. I wanted to get out tonight, but I couldn't. I didn't find it. But that collage they've got of, of this beautiful woman and this ugly old witch. And when you look at it, there's some people see one and some see the other. It all depends on how you look at it. That's life. That's how it is for you and I. It's not fair. It doesn't make sense. And the worst things happen at the most inopportune times. Car breaks down when you don't have no money. The kids act up when you've already got 10,000 other problems on your plate. Your husband or your wife smarts off when your boss has been mean all day and you have to come home and listen to that. Yeah, your dog bites your heels when you come through the door. <laughs> yeah. And if you're not careful, you get to looking around and you think, you know what? This is about as bad as it gets. I'm just, it's just pitiful. Anybody ever had a pity party? You know what's sad about pity parties? Nobody wants to come to those. <laughs> Nobody. Nobody. But you throw a celebration and everybody wants to show up. So listen, folks. God's got his hand on you. And you need to understand that tonight. He's got his hand on you. He's been working on your life even when you didn't know he was working on you. He's been directing your steps. Folks, it's, it, it is either true or not. And if that one verse is not true, then none of them are not true. But the Bible said that the steps of a good man or a good woman doesn't say a righteous or perfect man or a perfect woman, just a good woman or a good man. 
the steps of a good man are what? Ordered. You know what that word in the, in the Hebrew means? That means they are molded, formed, manipulated, designed with intention and purpose. With a plan. The steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. Now, if that's not true, then we need to throw this whole book away. It all depends on how you look at it. Are you sad and depressed? Do you have a few troubles in your life? Look around. It won't take you long to figure out that there's somebody near you that's got more troubles than you have, and they're smiling. And they're worshiping. How can they do that? It all depends on what you're looking for. You can look at your troubles and your problems and what's not right and what's wrong in life. And you're going to get so depressed. You'll want to go out and kill yourself. You'll want to go out and, and end it all. I'm serious. Or you can get your eyes focused on what can make a difference in your life. And that's the Lord of glory. And if your God's not that big... If your God's not that big, then you need to meet me here tonight and let's get this thing settled and let's get in relationship with the God that's big enough, the God that carries the whole world in His hand. Amen. I, I, I want us to, to know Him in that capacity tonight. Amen. Would you come with your family and let's just end this service at the altar. Amen. God's got my life. He's got your life. He's got my future. He's got... All of the things that pertain to the plans for my life in His hands tonight.